You know, it's been uh, interesting the last couple of weeks having a little bit of extra time to just sit back and think and look at things. I've had a chance to watch a little bit of TV, and I realized that all the best movies were made when I was still a kid. And, of course, I love Westerns. I love Westerns. My dad loved Westerns. Uh, two of my favorite people, of course, are Clint Eastwood and, of course, John Wayne. So two of my favorite movies are The Outlaw, Josie Wales, and Big Jake. And I was, I was reading the book of Galatians over the last two weeks. So we're in the book of Galatians. We're going to do all the chapters, all the verses. So I'll turn to the book of Galatians. As I was reading through this, we came to chapter one. And for some reason, all of these movies, these Westerns, were resonating in my head. Because when you watch a Western, you have the good guys, you have the bad guys. The good guys wear white and the bad guys wear black to show you who's who, right? All the gunfighters always wear all black and all the nice guys have on the light colored clothing. And it was to let you know which side was good, which side was not. You know, but when you go to any of the John Wayne type Clint Eastwood things, you always have these wagon trains and the people are getting on the wagon train to go to where? The promised land. And I started thinking about us. I started thinking about the people in Galatia, the area of Galatia where, where Paul is writing to. And they were looking for the promised land. They were looking to get there. But when you're on a journey, especially through the Old West, it was very dangerous. And that's why you rode these giant wagon trains. And whenever you got on the wagon trains, there were rules and regulations. And before the wagon master would say, you know, wagons, ho, and start rolling out, everybody kind of had to be on the same page, amen? You had to kind of know what dangers you were facing, why you needed to stay together, what supplies you needed. So I said, you know what? Our journey with Jesus Christ is much like one of these wagon trains. There is an uncertain world in which we travel. You know, they call it, now God said to Abraham, you are going to be like a stranger in a strange land. The countryside around you will seem alien and hostile sometimes. And sometimes our own culture, our own America, feels very alien and very strange with the things that people believe and what they talk about and what they say. So if we're going to travel through this world, we need to remember that our journey begins when the gospel is revealed to us. When the gospel comes to us, that's when our journey begins. It doesn't begin when we join a church. It doesn't begin when we accept a ministry, whether your ministry is grass cutting, uh, child teaching, or preaching. Your, your whole journey with Christ begins that moment when you understand what the gospel means. So today I want to talk about three imperatives for beginning the Christian life. You're on this wagon train, you're traveling with Christ as your guide, and there are three imperatives that you need to lay hold of. The very first one is right here in Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. When you are traveling in the Old West, if you are going through any of these old movies, what do you have to watch out for? Don't say the Native Americans, because we weren't the problem. The problem was the carpetbaggers. The carpetbaggers were the true danger. Let's take a look at this and then I'll explain what I'm talking about. Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches, plural, in Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Now understand, the Roman Empire was in its flourishment. 
There was everything. There were roads. There were public utilities. There was water. There was relative safety as you traveled through the Roman roads. All of that was good. So why is Paul talking about this evil age? He said, as you travel through this evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Our journey begins as we praise God. Because he is our guide. He is our leader. He is our protection. And that's what we have to recognize first. But now, Paul usually begins his books by saying something encouraging. He'll say, you know, I, I am blessed by every thought of you. Or my heart is warmed when I remember your grace and your goodness. You know, people say, how, how was it to be away from church for two weeks? Well, it was a little bit sad. But I still remembered your grace, your goodness. I didn't forget your faces. So there was, there was some encouragement along the way, amen? Paul doesn't do that. Galatians is odd and that he jumps right in to the criticism, right into the reason for writing this letter. Verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Wow. He just comes right out and he blasts them. He says, you know, here, I came through Galatia, that region. I helped to found these churches. I gave you elders to lead you into an understanding of, of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, what he came to do, and what he taught. I gave you good leaders. Now, what is your problem? Why are you walking away from everything that I taught you? And if you notice in all the Old West movies, the people leave the civilized East, so-called civilized East, I mean Boston, come on. You're going West into what? The uncivilized, barbaric you know, regions of the country where there is no law, there is, there is no uh, requirement of people, There's, everyone sort of lived by their own rules, they did whatever they wanted, and that pretty much was true. That's why we called what? The Wild West. What do they call America today? I heard a news reporter do this. He says, we are living in the days of the Wild West Revisited, where everybody does whatever they want to do. Young women get themselves photographed hanging out of cars with machine guns. Like that's a good thing. People go riding down the road pointing guns at each other. What is this? The Wild West? But you see, we have the same problem the people in the West did. You get away from civilization, quote unquote. You get out there where there are very few law enforcement officers and what? Everybody does whatever they can do or whatever they can force everybody else to do. That's what it was like. Paul goes through. He founds the church. He educates the leaders, sometimes spending as much as two years in one place to raise up a leadership core. He says, now I hear you're chasing after a different gospel. This was offensive to Paul because later in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, write that down, look it up. Revelation 22, 18 and 19, it says this. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Revelation is one of the few books, one of two books, sealed by this statement. If you take away from it, your name will be taken away from the people of God. If you add to it or contaminate it or pollute it, 
all of the curses in this book will come upon you. Anybody remember what the other book is? Because we've done it before. It's Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy seals the Torah. It seals the law of Moses. And the book of Deuteronomy is sealed with this statement. If you take away from this book, God will take away your name. If you add to it, pollute it, corrupt it, twist it, God will dump on you all of the consequences of the actions you are, you are executing. So two books, the end of the law, the end of the New Testament, both sealed by a warning that you don't mess with God's word. Yet we live in a day and age today when so many people routinely mess with God's word. I talked to a friend this week. I said, how's it going in your church? He said, well, I moved to a new church. It's a, it's a big church, about 5,000 people. I said, wow, that's a, that's a big church. He said, but it's very strange. He says, the pastor is able to preach every Sunday, and he never steps on anyone's toes. And I smiled to myself, and I said, self, this is not good. What do you mean he doesn't step on anyone's toes? Well, I've never heard him say anything that made anybody uncomfortable. I said, well, how does he do that? He says, well, I sit there and I listen, and pretty much everything he says is positive. Now, this is not in Texas, so I'm not talking about you-know-who. This is another state. Anyhow, he doesn't offend anybody because he doesn't actually preach on anything. All he tells people is how wonderful they are, how much God loves them, and how God wants them to have a happy, wealthy life. And I thought, self, there it is. That's why no one gets offended, because you haven't said anything. You said absolutely nothing. You can preach half the Bible, and you won't hurt anybody's feelings. Preach the whole Word of God, the whole counsel of God, and you will definitely offend someone's life. Same thing happening in the first century. Now, I said you have to beware of the carpetbaggers. I'll bet most of you are too young to know what a carpetbagger was. Carpetbaggers were Yankees from the North in the post-Civil War era. They came to the South, came states and states away, and they wanted to um, inject themselves into local life, get into local politics, and they wanted to start making changes. Now, I'm not saying that that's happening today in Texas, where a mass migration of a people in one state are moving to Texas because they wanted to get away from that state. And they're coming to Texas and they're recreating that state. And I'm thinking, if you wanted to live this way and have these ideals, why did you leave the place you were at? Because that perfectly describes it. But there it is. Carpetbaggers came to the South because they wanted to exploit the people and teach them new, way, new, new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things. They wanted to give them a whole new lifestyle. They wanted to recreate the mentality of the North in the South. So I was thinking about this when I was watching the outlaw Josie Wales. He sees these uh, slick snake oil salesmen coming down there, and Josie is sitting on the horse. He says, well, how are you doing, Mr. Carpetbagger? And I'm going to bet that 9 out of 10 people didn't get the joke because they don't realize what happens in history always repeats itself. Can I get an amen? What happened then is happening today in our churches. Like my friend said about his church, 5,000 people, nobody ever gets offended at the sermon. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not possible. If you preach God's word from start to finish, 
Don't change anything. You just preach it. You're going to make somebody mad because you're going to hit a nerve. You're going to hit someone's sensitivity. But if you take out all the offensive stuff, take out all the words like sin and, and lost, and take out all the way words like hell, damnation, judgment, take those words out. The Bible's a wonderful book, but you've only got about a third of it left. Amen? If you only have a third, it'd be like some people in history did. They went through with a razor blade and they cut out the portions of the Bible they didn't like. And they squished the wrecks together and they had their own version of it. Nothing offensive, nothing judgmental, nothing to call you to change your life. That's why you have to be careful about these carpet baggers. It says this. That you have turned to another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are, even if we or an angel from heaven, not that I'm talking about a church that's down the street, you know, they have an angel that came and gave them a different gospel, a second one, another one, <coughs> Mormons. Anyways, so here we are. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, a curse beyond them. This is weird. Paul doesn't normally curse people. But this word curse is serious. It's judgment. He wants judgment on those who are perverting the gospel, who are changing it, altering it for their own good. See, the carpetbaggers came down to make money, to get powerful, to become rich. And they did that by changing everything. These people who came into the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, wanted to change the gospel so that they could become powerful, so that they could lead the world, so that they could become the center and not Jesus Christ. And that does happen even to this day. As we have said before, I now say to you again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which we received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to persuade people, or am I trying to persuade God? There's the question. Are you trying to shift people, or are you trying to change who God is? Or am I striving to please people? If I am still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul served the Jewish law. Paul had all the power in the world. He had all the prestige, all the right credentials, and he gave that up to follow Jesus Christ. Would we give up the esteem that other people have for us, the respect that other people have for us? I've seen people tell me to my face, if you'll stop preaching about this, we will all be so much happier with you. Here's the problem. If I stop preaching this, I'm a people pleaser, not a God pleaser. Amen? You have to decide who you're going to serve, the God of heaven or the God of people's opinion of you. You can't serve both. You can't be popular with people if you're going to preach the gospel in its entirety, in its totality. To consider this, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Underline that. Understand what it says. People will not stand sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into mythology. Now, earlier I said there was a church that had a different gospel, a different mythology. And by, by accepting that, by focusing on that, 
they have allowed themselves to forsake everything that is taught in the Bible and say, okay, we can accept the Bible if we understand it through our books, through our teachings, through our speciality. And that's what's happening in so many of these massive churches that have tens of thousands of people. They change the teaching of Christ. So you have to beware the carpetbaggers, those who are trying to sell you a bill of goods. But there's a second imperative, second thing. you got to speak your peace, and your peace is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.11, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel is preached by me, is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul is a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the finest teacher in all of Judaism. He was the pinnacle. He was the Harvard of his day. To be a student of Gamaliel, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible by the time you turned 13. We don't think our children can do amazing things. Paul had memorized the entire, the entirety of the law by the time he was 13, by the time he became a child of the covenant, by the time he became a man. That's amazing to me. But that shows you what people can do when they're dedicated, when they're focused, and when their importance is put on the right thing. Most of our 13-year-olds have a hard time making a decision, do I want pizza or do I want broccoli? Of course, there's only one right answer for that, and that's I want pizza. Because broccoli is, well, broccoli. Anyways, so here we are. He says, I didn't get this teaching from some teacher like Gamaliel. I understood the law through Gamaliel. But Christ himself taught me what it means to be free. But it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. He was a super Jew. He was a super follower of the law of Moses. That was his life. He was not a fan of sports. He was not a fan of some activity of hiking or boating or whatever. He was a fan of the law, and that was his life. From morning till night, waking till sleeping, he was immersed in the law of God. And that's why he went so far beyond everybody else his age. He says this, But when God who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Now there's some confusion about what that means. Arabia was an entire section of the world. It began just outside Damascus. He's already in Damascus, where he's come to persecute the church. He was converted to Christ on the road to Damascus. He was taken there. That's where he received his sight. So he's only gone a little bit further out into the wilderness to ponder and to think about the things that have happened to him, to understand who he was, what he had done, now where he was. Some people think he was in the desert for three years. That's a misunderstanding based on the next set of verses. But he wasn't there for three years. It says, I went there and then I came back. I went there and came back. It may have been a week, it may have been a month, we don't know. We really don't. We just know that he stepped aside for a minute to let everything sink in. When something changes your life, you have to take a moment to take it all in. 
when you graduate from school and you know you're never going to go back again. You have to stop and think, okay, that part of my life is done. Now where do I go from here? Same thing happens when you change jobs, when you come to a, a crisis in life. You go, okay, this is what I was up to now, but now I have to be something different. Now I have to go on with my life with whatever I have left. You know, um, I was watching this morning a motorcycle rider on I-10, um, high, high rate of speed. They didn't say it, but I think, you know, someone had mentioned he might have been in excess of 90 miles an hour. Sweeping, whirling, he hit the back of a truck. And if that wasn't bad enough, he went over the truck into traffic and they got him again. There's a person who did not know that that was going to be his last bike ride. That was going to be his last chance to make a decision. That speeding down the road at that kind of speed, enjoying life as it were, that was going to be the end of everything he did. And all of us are in that same situation. We have to consider what has God given us today? He's given us life. He's given us what we have at this moment. Will I have it tomorrow? I don't know. You know, this week uh, they made COVID tests available to all the people on campus. So that was fantastic. Everybody can go outside and get tested now. And you can get tested once a week just to keep yourself safe and also to keep your coworkers safe. Because we've had uh, a number of people come to work sick and didn't know it. And they've had to, they had to shut down one of our eating establishments because the manager came in with COVID and he didn't know it, but he wanted to go to work. So he came in and, and, and basically they had to shut the whole thing down. And the same thing, thing has happened in uh, a number of our offices. And so, you know, life is so tenuous. It's so uncertain. When I say speak your peace, speak the gospel, it means that today is your chance to do that. Today is your opportunity to tell someone about your faith in Christ because you don't know what tomorrow holds, what tomorrow will bring. Paul's life changed on the road to Damascus. It completely altered. It was different. Consider this. When he was done, when he got to Damascus, he was blind. Acts 9, 17 through 22 says this. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Paul. This means Paul had already become a Christian. Understand this. On the road to Damascus, he accepted Christ because Christ confronted him. When he got to Damascus, he was blind and helpless. And then God, through the Holy Spirit, sent Ananias to talk to Saul. But he already told him, this man is now my believer, but doesn't know what to do with it. There's a lot of people who put their faith in Christ, and now they're waiting for someone to tell them, what do I do with my faith? How do I live my faith out? How do I express this faith? And that's what Ananias did. He came said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you, to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Okay, he's there, he's blind. Ananias comes, says, Lord Jesus saw you, blinded you. Now he sent me to remove your scales. Boom, they fell off his eyes like cataracts. It's exactly what the word implies, like, like cataracts just fell off his eyes. Suddenly he could see perfectly. 
For some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. For some days literally means just a few days. He wasn't there a year or two years. So for some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he's the son of God. This man came to Damascus to imprison the Christians. And now because of 10 minutes on a road and encountering the Lord Jesus, he comes there blinded, shaken, but a believer. Now the scales are gone. After he eats, he gets strength back immediately. Not after going to school, not after getting a pastoral study Bible. He goes out and begins to preach Jesus from what he knows. What does he know? The law of Moses. What does he know? The Old Testament. There is no New Testament. He's writing it. All he looks at is the Old Testament. It says, this is who the Messiah was meant to be. This is our Jesus. And he starts to preach him. He doesn't wait. He immediately leaps into preaching yeah, he, he had been a persecutor of the church. But once he knew his mistake, once he knew his fallacy, he changed overnight and became now this proponent of the gospel. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who were called by this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Amazing. This is what the presence of Christ will do in your life. It will change you in a moment, in a night, in a day. It will change you into a different person. But you have to lay hold of and seize that change. Talk to anybody who's ever been an addict, whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol or anything else. And it talks about this process of, of years of sobriety. But those years of sobriety depend on one day one moment when they say, this far and no further. This thing's not going to own me anymore. This thing is not going to control me. Is it easy? No. Is it, is it painless? No. Becoming who Christ wants you to be is not an easy process. It is daily submitting. There's a 12-step program in Alcoholics Anonymous for a reason. And you work the steps, and you work the steps, and you work the steps. As a believer... You work the steps. What are the steps? I, get, I wake up in the morning. I acknowledge that God is God, that Christ is Lord. Then I look into the word and I find strength for the day. When I make a mistake, I confess that mistake. First John 1, 9. And I go on. I don't stop and ruminate. I go on. But I don't stop going forward. We never sit on our laurels. Sorry. We don't sit on our laurels. We, we continually go forward. You know what I mean? A lot of people who are in their 50s and 60s, and these are my friends, who are in their 50s and 60s have not grown in Christ in 40 years. Since they were 10 and went to some Bible camp and they raised their hand to accept Jesus, they've not grown beyond that Bible camp understanding of who God is. And that's terrible. That's horrible. Think about the Olympic athlete who as a small child learns how to do a vault or learns how to do a tuck and roll, or learns whatever that skill is. Imagine if they stopped right there. Okay, I did a cartwheel. I'm good. I don't need anything else. What Olympic athlete stops with the first accomplishment? 
you keep going. You keep growing. You keep developing. As a Christian, we should be constantly growing, constantly developing. As one wise and profound person once said, we should all be the most educated Sunday school teachers in the church. We should all understand God's word well enough to be able to sit down with an unbeliever and share Jesus. Paul did it after only a couple days. He had, the, he had the background, but once he had Jesus, he had everything he needed to make a change in people's life. So beware the carpetbaggers, the fakes, the phonies, those who tell you what you want to hear. Two, you got to speak your peace, and your peace is the gospel. Number three, and we are done. You need to prevent, sorry, you need to present your bona fides. Now, I'm going to guess there's one person in this room that knows what a bona fides is. Here we go. One person, maybe, maybe two. And if you watched Big Jake with John Wayne, you already know the answer. Yes. Bona fides is evidence. It's a documentary evidence of something that you want to present. You have some sort of article. In, in, in the movie Big Jake, you know, they kidnap his grandson. And he, he goes out there and he, he meets this guy and he uh, tells him about his grandson. He says, and here's my bona fides. It was a shirt off the boy's back to prove that they had the little boy, to prove that they had little Jake. Here's the thing. What bona fides do we have? Let me show you. Galatians 1.18. Then after three years, I did go. No, he's over there. He's preaching already. He's preaching in Damascus. He's talking to people. He's showing them Jesus. Then he says, and then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. And I stayed with him 15 days. So it took three years of preaching and teaching and growing before he felt like he could go down to Cephas to meet him. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. Now, that would be the Lord's half-brother, actually. James was the head of the church in Jerusalem, not Peter, in case you come from that background. James led the church. Peter was the chief apostle. Apostle means one who is sent out. Peter was sent out to carry the gospel. James was called to stay and lead what was going on in Jerusalem. And that's why we keep encountering him later on. I declared in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Afterwards, I went to the region of Smyrna and Cilia. Yeah, Cilia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean church that are now in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. That's all anyone knew. They heard that the one who had persecuted the church now was proclaiming Jesus Christ. And they glorified God because of me. There's your bona fides. What are you preaching? What are you talking about? What's coming out of your mouth? What's coming out of your life? That's your bona fides. That's your evidence. That's what you present to the world. You see, no one's going to believe what you say until they see who you are. Hopefully what we say is how we live. The things we say we do are the things that we do. The things that we believe inform how we act. And that's the important thing. Everybody looks at you first to see who you are. Then they believe what you say. That's why, especially like in China, it's so hard to do missionary work because no one believes anything you say until they see who you are. 
Bonnie Moon went to China and she was a woman. So, of course, in that society, in that culture, they didn't readily accept anything that she said. Do you know how she won the hearts of the children of that city? She got the only oven in the whole town. She got an oven, an actual oven, which they don't have in China, by the way. They have walks. Well, now, of course, they have ovens. But, you know, back in the day, she would bake cookies in her home and leave the back door open. The smell would go out in the streets and the children would gather around to see what smelled so good. It didn't smell like anything they had ever had before. It didn't smell like the bread or anything. And when they came to that back door and she would give them cookies, they would see in her a loving and compassionate white woman. And the fact that she was white scared them enough as it was. Okay, there's, there's an expression in Chinese which literally means white ghost. You know, so, because um, they don't know what to make of us. Of course, things are different today. Of course, things are, are way different in China and in Taiwan, where I lived. But in those days, in that early part of the 20th century, it, it was completely unheard of, unknown. So there it was. She won them by how she lived, by her compassion, by her grace, by her giving, by her friendliness. That's what won a hearing. After they saw her, then they heard what she had to say. And what does it say? They glorified God. Why? Because of Paul. Paul had been their worst enemy. Now he was their best supporter, their best defender. And they praised God because God brought to them Paul. And Paul's written most of the New Testament. So we definitely needed Paul. But isn't it amazing God allowed a man to give his whole life to learning the law, to learning the law of Moses, to learning the Old Testament. They allowed him to become a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the most powerful men in Israel. And then at the right moment, at the right time, God brought him to salvation and then let him loose on the world. And he changed everything. He championed the cause of Christianity all throughout that Mediterranean region. That's amazing. Imagine what God could do with you if you were fully committed, fully, I'm on this wagon train, I am on this journey, and yeah, I'm going I'm to watch out for the carpetbaggers, the people with the slick stories and the slick interpretations that don't cause me to challenge my own life, that cause me to just go, look, I'm happy, I can do that. But when my friend is still going to that church, I said, listen more carefully. Listen to what's not being said. Listen to what they say about Jesus, because a lot of churches that try to make everybody happy, they preach Jesus as one way to heaven, one example, one possible way. But churches like that never, ever say Jesus is the only way to heaven, the way, the truth, the life. I know you all just heard that one last week, but there you go. Anyways, that's what sets us apart. Our gospel is not about one way. It's about the way to heaven. Let me finish up with this. Acts 9, 26-27. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. So when he finally came down. But they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. If God does something in your life and people don't believe it, be patient. Why? They got to see it before they'll believe it. You're, you're a new person in a new place. They don't know you from Adam or Eve for that fact. You go in there, they're going to look at you 
And they're going to say, who is this person? What does she believe? Can I trust her? Is she going to stab me in the back to get my job? Is she a gossip? They're going to wonder about you in this new place you work in. But when they see that you are real, when they glimpse those bona fides, as it were, and they know that you're an authentic, genuine person, then they'll hear everything you have to say. And that goes for all of us. Got a whole new group of students coming in this year. Whole bunch of people haven't met me yet, but they're about to meet me and then they're gonna know who I am because there's no way to miss me in my place. There's just no way to do that. And it says this, but Barnabas, the one man God appointed, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. There it is. Barnabas knew from what Paul had said exactly what Paul believed. And he was the one that vouched for him, and he's the one that made his entrance into the disciples in Jerusalem. Even though he really went there to spend time with Stephen and James, the others had to be introduced to him slowly because they were still afraid. What is the sum total of this? We have just started a long journey through the book of Galatians. We are starting an even longer journey after that into a couple other books. And as we go through, I want you to keep asking yourself, I am on a journey to follow Christ. What does this book tell me I need to do? Who I need to be? How I need to live? Because the world right now, people, is really confusing. You just don't know what's happening from day to day. But if you are the same person today, tomorrow, the next day, next week, next month, next year, if you don't change and your message doesn't change, people will hear you. Amen? Well, let's pray. 